So we've been studying on the spiritual warfare in this chapter 6. And the Bible makes it clear we got to put on the full armor. You don't want to be lacking a helmet or lacking a shield or lacking a sword. You want the full armor of God that you put on. But then the last thing he mentioned was the most important thing. It all works together through a continual prayer life, praying without ceasing. Importantly, praying in the Spirit. God's Spirit helps us to pray through uh, His Spirit groaning within us, the perfect will of God. And so we want Spirit-filled prayer life. And he says a number of ways prayer happens. It has adoration of worship, confession, thanksgiving, intercession. This is for praying for other people. And then petition, being very specific, believing God for miracles and mountains to be moved and, and so forth. And so we need to be led and empowered by the Spirit in our prayer life. And I'll tell you what, you go through the Bible You'll see every major move of God precedes people praying. You study church history, the exact same thing. May, may God strike us with a spirit of prayer that we never recover from. And uh, I'll tell you what, that is how you change a nation, right? 2 Corinthians 7.14, if my people will humble themselves and pray, Turn from their sinful ways. We're not as sinful as the world may be, but at the same way, we're not walking in the Spirit. We're not praying in the Spirit. So repent of our sins. And he says he will hear from heaven. We will hear from heaven. And he will heal the land. The answer for our nation is not for sinners to be less sinful or Democrats to be less liberal. The answer has always been the power of God upon the believers. And he tells us that once we are in this place of praying in the Spirit with the full armor of God, we now need to persist in that. And, and praying in particular, not just for ourselves, but for all of the believers, being specific and being full of perseverance. And so... We've learned thus far that prayer is powerful. It's the deciding factor in the spiritual warfare. Satan seeks, more than anything in the church, to disarm Christian soldiers from praying. Always the number one thing. Because he knows, as it says in James 5.16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we as a church, all of Christendom worldwide, moves forward upon her knees. And so we finish there in verse 18 when he says, in particular, prayer, uh, perseverance, and supplications for all the saints. Dave Guzik has a great word on this praying for all the saints. We can battle spiritually not only on our own behalf, but also on the behalf of others. The soldier isn't only concerned for his or her safety, he feels an instinct to protect and do battle on behalf of of others. How true that is. Well, now we pick up in verse 19. And for me, pray for me with perseverance, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, 
that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. First of all, we need to note that this spiritual giant is saying, without the prayers of the saints, I won't be the pastor I need to be. I won't be the evangelist I need to be in particular. I won't be a man of God because I'm weak. Now, I I think we often think if we ask others to pray for us, we're being selfish, less than spiritual. Don't pray for me. Pray for the missionaries in Africa, you know. Don't pray for me and my sickness, but pray for so-and-so and their sickness. I'm, you know... No, asking people to pray for you is a wonderful sign of your faith. It's not being selfish. It's not saying, I'm so weak, I need prayer. I'm a a real, uh, you know, basket case and, and, you know, the whole church has to tend to me and my needs. I'm such a loser. Uh, Pray for me. I'm asking people to pray for me all the time. How horrible. No. Um, Because it, it really... And you think about it, it, it doesn't take much effort to pray for somebody. It takes faith, and often when you don't have faith, it seems sort of silly that you're praying, or it seems sort of boring that you're praying. But when you have faith, prayer is exciting. Prayer is not boring. And prayer of a man filled with the Spirit, and he's persisting, the effective, fervent Prayer, a fervent prayer of a righteous man avails what? Much. And so we want to follow Paul's example, saying, hey, I'm not at the top of the pyramid. Nobody prays for me, but I pray for everybody else. Remember in verse chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul had prayers. They were amazing, teaching us how to pray. But he's teaching us again how to pray. In letting people know specifically how you can pray for me. Now, I, I would say what sort of takes me back right away is Paul prays for boldness when he has so many other needs. He's in prison. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be at the top of his list? Pray for me to get out of here. Paul, we know from Corinthians and other books about the same time, he was in some serious sickness. Paul had been beaten with rods and beaten with whips, and, and he had been stoned to death, and, and he had shipwrecked many times. He, his body was torn to pieces, traveling all, walking all, and doing all that he did, working, making tents. He had trashed his body in the pursuit of fulfilling his ministry. Matter of fact, the very first words after he got born again was from the Lord, I'm going to show you how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. And the whole world's going to look at you, Paul, saying, wow, I didn't know somebody fulfilling God's mission for their life would be so painful. That's the message we get from the Apostle Paul, an amazing conversion, a guy that was just incredibly... um, hard-hearted and hated Christians, getting him arrested, putting him to death. You know, the Osama bin Laden of the Jews didn't seem like he could ever uh, change. You know, he was, he was as mean as they got, and, and, and he had a big uh, personality and, and a power to persecute Christians, and the Lord 
saved him. Paul says, it's, you're never going to see a bigger sinner saved than me. So let that be encouragement to all, everyone. But then the Lord said, yeah, I'm going to show through your life how much one must suffer to fulfill that ministry. But Paul doesn't pray for his owies. He doesn't pray for his eyes that were oozing out pus. He doesn't pray for his arthritis, no doubt, through his body. He doesn't pray for comforts. Man, get a better cell and bigger blankets. Um, he just prays that God would give me boldness. You know, we, we often think, pray for Paul to preach the gospel? Man, that's, weird. that's a dumb prayer. Because Paul the apostle, that guy is powerful. He's a preaching machine. He's an evangelist of evangelists. That guy, you don't have to pray for him. Because he is just a monster machine when it comes to sharing the gospel. But we learn differently here. And many other places. No, no, Paul, like it said of Elijah, Paul was a man with a nature like ours. Just like Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed and prayed persistently and saw great miracles. The effective, fervent, forever righteous man avails much. Well, Paul also had a nature like ours. He, he wasn't apt to be an evangelist any more than you are. So when you think of Paul going into the marketplaces and preaching the gospel, don't picture some superhero some Christian Marvel series. Paul, getting up and preaching in the marketplace would be just like you doing that. Wow, that puts a whole nother light on it, doesn't it? A matter of fact, Paul lets us know, and this, you know, this 1 Corinthians chapter 2 passage is, Paul has been an apostle and evangelist for, for many, many years at this point. But when he had left um, Athens in Acts 17, and then he went to Corinth, he tells us what had happened in him and what was going on personally with him when he came to Corinth to preach the gospel to this city that had never heard of Jesus. He says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, And I, brother, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now listen to verse 3. And if this doesn't sound like you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in what? Much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. You know what? When he shared, it sounded weak. It sounded trembling. It didn't sound like some bold guy. He, he, he didn't sound like some... A-type personality guy who, who's, who's this salesman who could sell, you know, ice to an Eskimo and just get me on the stand and I'll convince everybody to be a Christian. Not at all. He was timid. He was afraid. He was weak. But he got up on that box and shared the gospel. And he says, when I did it, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive you know when you can't say a word? Persuasive words of human wisdom. 
Uh, well, it sort of makes sense, right? My speech, my speech is not very eloquent either. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So again, we, we want to picture Paul up there and he's, Hear ye, hear ye, all ye men of Corinth, come up here. You know, I have something to come. Wow, this, this is an oratory, strong, it's powerful. You know, we, we read in 2 Corinthians, he says, you're saying of Paul that his speech is contemptible. He didn't have a strong preaching voice, sort of like Moses. God, you, you, you caused me to be born into this world and I can't talk so well. So use somebody else's tongue. Well, Paul, again, we, we want to picture him as some guy who is so eloquent and so good at this. And you hear him evangelize and you go, forget it. <laughs> Whew, let him do it. There's nobody does it as well as him. That's not what you would have saw. You would have saw a guy who didn't look like he was very good at what he was doing. He didn't look very strong in the pulpit. But yet, the Spirit of God moved. And when they knew they were a sinner, they were pierced to the heart, they knew it wasn't because they got sold by a very good, smooth salesman. They, they knew that the message was not very strong. It was not very persuasive. It, it, it really was weak. I mean, if he went to the debate team, they'd kick him off. I got born again, but it was the power of God's spirit under the weight of the mighty hand of God as Paul did his best to, to share the message. God bless his heart. He didn't do a very good job, but God bless his heart. He did the best he could, but it didn't matter. When he spoke those simple words, the power of God came upon me. My spirit and my heart was pierced to the quick. And I understood like I had never understood before. I was a sinner in need of a savior. I didn't even know I needed a Messiah. Oh my goodness. I, if I were to have died before this moment, I would have burned in hell. But now I understand that God loves me and sent his son to die for me. And, and that I also can have the joy of salvation, even though I've been a horrible sinner by grace and by the mercies of God, I can be saved in this moment by believing on Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. Wow, they're not going home going, well, was I sold by a very good salesman in the, in the heat of the moment? Have you ever done that? You know, you, you go, oh, I'm gonna go to some timeshare thing for two hours and they're gonna give me a couple hundred bucks or, or whatever. And you think, yeah, I'm not going to buy a timeshare. I do not have money to buy a timeshare. And you walk out of there having just spent $48,000 having bought a timeshare. <laughs> and immediately you're grieved about it, going, what happened? God made Paul weak on purpose. You know, it's interesting when Moses at 80 God told him to go speak. He said, I can't. I can't talk very well. I, I, it, would, it would sound horrible. But yet in Acts 
Chapter 7, when Stephen preached about Moses, he said when Moses was 40 years old, he was a man mighty in power and mighty in speech. Interesting. That God didn't use Moses until 40 years had pounded him in the Saudi Arabia desert tending sheep. And at 80 years old, something had happened where now he did not see himself as a leader. He definitely was not a mighty man with power militarily or a man mighty in speech. And God said, that's why I want to use you, Paul, or Moses. Because when he went down there, it wasn't about Moses being a mighty leader. It was about God doing mighty work. Just like David killing Goliath. Just like Gideon with 300 men taking on the, the Midian army, as many as the sand of the sea, and winning that victory. So you, you, you say, uh, I would share the faith, but I, I'm just too afraid. Join the club. You know, it's interesting. I just watched a thing this morning on YouTube put out by um, the CB, what's the Christian channel? CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network. But they, have a, they had a little clip of their news thing. I don't watch that TV channel, but I, they had a thing on there that was the top most persecuted countries. We're not on that list, guys. <laughs> it, it's interesting that you, you won't hear it from any regular news. But there are several pastors, just like us, a church like us, that are in prison in Canada right now for teaching Romans 1 against homosexuality or during this COVID time meeting as a church. The church has been taken away by the government. All through Europe, that's the case. India used to be fairly open, but right now in these last several years, Calvary Chapel has had to go underground. We have five Bible colleges and they're underground. You, if I went over there and met with the Christians, they would probably end up getting put in prison after I left because they would be known. That doesn't happen here yet. It's coming. But if you go out and preach the gospel and somebody says, I don't believe you're junk, get away from me, that's about as bad as it gets. Oh, I'll never preach the gospel again. That was, that was so difficult. Man, I really got scarred. I got rejected. That, that, that's going to happen. But you know what I'm amazed? People, I'm talking 90% of the people are the opposite. People do not have any knowledge of Jesus, no more than they know about Buddha or Hare Krishna or Muhammad. If I were to ask you, tell me what you know about Buddhism, you, you probably wouldn't have a lot to say. That's the way it is in America with Christianity. People don't know. I mean, they do not know that Jesus died on the cross. And when I tell them he died on the cross, people are like, he died on the cross? I, I, I understand. It's hard to imagine this. Us in the church. But I'm telling you, especially junior hires and high school and college-age kids, the ball 
has been dropped. We know from the book of Judges it only takes one generation till they no longer know God or the God of the Bible or the God of the forefathers. It's happened now. So it's sort of good, to be honest with you, because you're, you're not having to dig through past baggage. You got a clean slate. What do you know about Jesus? Really nothing. Well, he, he, he gives eternal life. Would you like to know how to have eternal life? Absolutely. And to share the simple gospel in, in a minute. And you, you know what? It doesn't matter whether you feel effective or not. God's word never returns void, right? It always accomplishes that which is sent out to do. Look at, at 2 Corinthians on this point of boldness. Paul says, man, I, I, I was in Troas and I was waiting for some guys to come because I didn't want to just be the only guy in town preaching the gospel. But I, I couldn't wait any longer and, and my heart was burning and I went out and preached the gospel. And this is how Paul describes that time that he, he had there in, in Troas. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 to 17. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma of death leading to death. To another we're aroma of life leading to life. And then he asked the question, which we all know the answer to, who is sufficient for these things? Nobody. <laughs> for we are not as so many peddling the word of God. We have nothing to sell. When I go out and share the Lord, I don't advertise our church. I advertise Jesus only. We're not so many peddling the word of God. We have no agenda, just that they would know the Lord, know the truth. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So I know they think we're selling something. We're trying to get them to or, join an organization. We're trying to get their money. We're trying to proselyte them so they'll be like us in this cult. I mean, there's just a lot of thinking, but we know, God knows, we know, we just want to talk to them about Jesus. We don't care if they go to our church afterwards. We don't care if, if they um, are joining our organization, and it's not our goal, is it? It's just purely to let them know about Jesus. And, and Paul says, you know, it was, it was victorious, because you got to understand, remember in Ezekiel, and Paul quotes this in Acts 20, where, where God said, go tell the people the message. And Ezekiel's like, that's going to be difficult. They're not going to want to hear it. They're not going to believe it. And God said, I know that. I know they're not going to receive you. I know they're not going to believe you. But they need to hear the truth anyway. And Elijah, or Ezekiel, if you go tell them and they reject you, you're clear. But if destruction's coming and you don't warn them, then you're guilty. The blood's on your hands, right? If there's a flood coming and it's two miles away and we all need to go jump in our cars and get out of here before we die, and somebody walks by going, hey, what's, what's happening? No, nothing, don't worry about it. <laughs> He's guilty of, of our deaths, right? So Paul says, I, I understand that there's a percentage of people that they need to hear the truth, even though the truth to them is like smelling a dead body. What's that smell? Oh, you find some dead rat behind the washer. 
I understand some people, that's the gospel. It's like it was putrid the entire time, and it's a putrid smell in my head now. I hate Christians. I don't want to know about God or anything. But then there's the others that it's aroma of life leading to more life. It's the most beautiful rose I've ever smelled. It's the most beautiful thing. And, and he says, who's sufficient? Who, who's sufficient to ever share accurately enough, enough information in the right way, in the right spirit, in the right location? Is it ever, is it ever a perfect sharing of the faith? Paul says, no. Because we're human, we, we lack a lot of things. But it doesn't matter. It's how beautiful are feet of those who share the good news. It's beautiful to God, whatever the outcome is. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 9 to say, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, talking about our bodies, that the excellence of the power may be what? of God and not of us. When we share God's word, it's as if God were speaking through us. We are hard pressed on every side. Do I have an amen? We live in California, we know about this. But we're not crushed. We are perplexed. Amen? Though we're not in despair. You guys, you guys, come on, have a little bit of soul here. Okay, let's try the last one here. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. <laughs> Glory. 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 10 through 12, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. This is how Paul says Christians ought to live. So as we're, the dying of the Lord Jesus is working out in us, the life of Jesus is being manifested in our body. For we who live always are delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Isn't that what we want? The life of Jesus now. I know, I know the life of Jesus is going to be glorified in my new heavenly body in heaven. No devil, no sin, no sinners, no evil. I know that body Christ is going to be glorified in, but really it's no effort to do that. Now, this little tiny space of time that we have, if you, if you have 50 years left, that's 18,250 days. And I would be generous if I said most of you had 50 years. <laughs> Even half of that would be generous. But the fact is we have a few thousand days left in which we actually can have dying present in us that the life of Jesus would be manifest in this mortal body. So death is working in us, but life in you. And this is again in sharing Christ. And one last verse on this in 2 Corinthians 4, 15. For all things are for your sake, that the grace having been spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Think of that. No believers in Corinth and Paul comes, and he's the first one to ever tell them about Jesus. And then this small group of people believe, and then from them another group of people believe, and they have this church of believers, and they're coming, and Paul's teaching them night and day, every day of the week. 
He's sharing. He was there six months with them before he left and handed the church off to a group of believers that were six months in the Lord. What a glorious thing to walk away. But yet it was a hard time. For the church to be birthed, he had to die. For people to come to Christ, he had to physically be persecuted. And he said, I, I don't, I'm willing. Just like Christ daily denied himself, Jesus didn't take up the cross the last day of his life. Jesus carried the cross his whole life. Right? And, 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 and Christ, it says in, in Isaiah 53, a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, people looked upon him and he looked like one who had been smitten of God and afflicted. But it was for us. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was injured for our iniquities. The chastisement of our well-being fell upon him that by his stripes were healed. And Paul says in the same way now, to fulfill our ministry, we've got to take up that cross and we've got to die. So dying is present in me, but it's okay because life is in you. Isn't that what happens in marriage? You die to yourself that your wife can live or you die to yourself that your husband can live. Isn't that as parents what you do? You die to your own will, your own wants, your own desires that your children will live. That's, that's just the way it works. Well, the same for people to come to Christ. We've got to be their servant. We've got to come to them like Jesus said, I'm going to the sick. We're like the doctors and we've got the medicine. <laughs> and that medicine is the simple gospel. And then Paul goes on to say, not only do I need you to pray for boldness, and they're going, pray for boldness? Paul, you're kidding. Uh, you know, I didn't pray for me, but I don't think you have to pray for Paul for that. Oh, yeah, you do. Paul was in a completely new venue. He was imprisoned in Rome. Different language. These are royal guards. He's a few feet away from the heart of the Roman Empire and a very wicked, evil Nero. Paul, Paul was in a, a very unique situation that he did not, uh, it was a new, how do, how, do I, how do I share the Lord in this venue? Do I, do I share with the soldiers? Do, do, I, do I write letters to the churches? Do, do I try to, I, I'm not sure how to be an apostle, how to be a Christian in this venue. It's new to me. It's different. And, and I, I'm finding myself backing away because I'm uncertain. And I'm not sure if any door is really open. And I realize now I really need God to go before me to open the door to touch these soldiers' hearts or these different people that come to look at the crazy Apostle Paul and talk to them. I, I, I need wisdom to know, and I need a boldness that I don't, I've never had before. It's, it's harder here in prison to preach the gospel than in any other venue I've been in, and I'm finding myself checkmated, and I need a work and a leading and a power of God that I've not had before. Would you pray for me?
And then he says, so I am an ambassador. I love this. Because Paul tells us later in 2 Corinthians, he takes this analogy and, and he says, hey, you, you, you need to run with this. Read with you, if you would, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 21. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation, taking the sinner and bringing them to the Savior. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's breaking it down. Maybe you never thought of it that way before. Jesus was an ambassador of the Father, connecting sinful man to a holy God. So that's the same ministry we have. Not telling them, not imputing their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Letting them know that, that God can impute righteousness and the imputed sin can be taken away. In verse 20, now then we are ambassadors. We all, as believers, are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Do you see that? Paul is saying, just like Jesus saw himself as an ambassador, I see myself as an ambassador. You see yourselves as an ambassador. And then you're on behalf of the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who, who is from a country not of this world. <laughs> but I'm an ambassador to Los Alamitos or Sill Beach or Huntington Beach or Long Beach, wherever you are. We're ambassadors. And if you will listen to the Spirit and you will ask God to give you boldness, you'll find that God's Spirit through you, even in your weakness, will cause you to plead with people in your sphere of influence to be reconciled to God, to believe on the work of Christ to take away their sin and make them holy and righteous and pure immediately in the eyes of God through the one sacrifice he has perfected forever, those he's now sanctifying and he goes on to say, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Do we realize who we are? We, we are not a bunch of crazy little cult people in our cult here, and, and we should be ashamed of what we are. And, and the world's out there telling you, you go to church, you're a weirdo. You believe in God, you're a loser. You're not intellectual. And, and you watch the shows, every Christian's the idiot and every atheist is, you know, Indiana Jones. Every atheist is the hero, the intellect, the guy who's normal. The guy who believes in God is the guy who's not normal. This is all a part of Satan's plan to, to keep us quenched out. But we are kings. We are priests. We've been made this by God we are kings, we are priests, and we are ambassadors. But we are not just a regular ambassador. We are a king ourselves as an ambassador. We're not some flimsy, weak-minded person. We are priests unto God and ambassadors. We are a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2 tells us. We are a holy nation. We are a special people. We have a great, powerful testimony of our own, how God took us out of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Jesus said, the moment you believe by nature, he's not saying 
try to be a light or try to be salt. He's saying by nature, a born-again person, the light turns on. When we become born again, we start becoming salty wherever we walk and wherever we go. So he says, you are by nature the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they, they light the lamp and put it under the basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all those in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't be unnatural by hiding the fact that you're a Christian. Don't, don't quench the Spirit speaking to you to share the gospel. You, you know what will cure you sharing the gospel? When the first person comes to Christ, when the first person comes to Christ, you're blown away. You're, you're just completely going, this, this is not me. <laughs> I can't believe this person's open. I, I, I can remember many instances going, being down at Seal Beach and, 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 you know, you have four high schoolers or four junior hires and, and three of them are going, ah, these weird Christians, these bunch of idiots, you know. And you have this one person who you think would succumb to the peer pressure, but God's calling them. And they're like, tell me, I need eternal life. Just like you said, I'm a sinner and I'm not ready to die. Help me. And you take that 14-year-old kid and, and you share Jesus with them and and you say, would you like to pray right here to receive Christ? Yes, I do. And his friends are looking at him going, what in the world? And you're saying, do you now want to hear the gospel? Yeah, I want to hear it too. And do you? Yes, I do. And, and then all of them radically receive Christ. Very sincere. Or your neighbor who you think would be annoyed by you asking them if they know how to have eternal life. And they're like going, you won't believe this. I was giving up on life. I, I was asking God to show me the truth and I need eternal life. And you knocked at my door and you said, can I tell you about Jesus? You're a miracle. One of those kind of things happens, guys. And, and you will realize I'm the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a king. I'm a priest of God. Here I am, Lord. Use me. And, and you will be amazed. The, the Holy Spirit's in the world already preparing the land. He's already convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Paul ends by saying something interesting in that verse. He says, which I am an ambassador. Listen to this in chains. This term, in chains, is a play on the words because it does mean chains as a prisoner, but it also is the same wordage using for a royal per person to have necklaces or in particular to have like an ambassador or a mayor where you have a, a necklace revealing your position as well. So you got some gold necklace that only the mayor wears. So Paul is saying, I'm an ambassador of Christ as great as any ambassador of any country. 
And here's my chains to prove it. Not a gold chain around the neck, but chains around the feet and the hands. You know, Moody says something here. I really want us to stop and and just let it soak in. D.L. Moody, the great preacher, said this. I am only one. But I am one. I cannot do everything. But I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, that I will do. Isn't that powerful? Well, I'm just one little person sharing with one neighbor. How is that going to change the history of mankind? There was just one little boy named David, right? Only five little stones he took out of the brook. Only one poor little 80-year-old shepherd in Saudi Arabia that God sent to Egypt. Boy, go back and look through the Bible and you'll find continually one person doing one little thing that they can do and it did change the course of history. Who's going to be the greatest celebrity in heaven? Billy Graham or the guy who led Billy Graham to the Lord? You see, I think it's that Sunday school teacher who said, Billy, straighten up or I'm going to call your dad in here. And they did a flannel graph story or told a story, and Billy Graham, as a child, received Christ. Yeah, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And by the grace of God, what I can do, that I will do. Well, finishing up here in verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister to the Lord, will make all things known to you. Paul is saying, I know the churches are worried about me. I hear that they're really bummed that I'm in prison in Rome and they're, they're afraid for me and concerned. And they know I was already struggling in my body and how hard it must be to be in this Roman dungeon. It must be really hard on me and I'm in a lot of pain and I, I'm suffering. Yeah, I, I, I want Tychicus in particular to come to you to let you know how fruitful my ministry is here. And how God's giving me grace in my pains, in my discomforts, being in prison. Interesting that Paul describes Tychicus in a way that really you can't say two things that are more complimentive. First of all, he's a beloved brother. Or in saying, he is a loving man. You know, I, I, I think people might say, you're a real intellect. But on the other side of the point, you're sort of a... Eep. I mean, wouldn't it be better to be a loving person and not so smart? I, I'd say at this point in my, in my life, absolutely. Above all things. The Bible makes it clear. If you took faith and hope and all kinds of wonderful characteristics... The greatest of the greatest above all is love. The Bible's pretty clear on that, right? So if we don't have love, 
even if we can move mountains and we have great knowledge and we have great faith, without love, we are what? Nothing. It says that in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it says, without love, it profits us nothing. Because love, I love this last little part it says out of that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love, what? Never fails. You know, when you really think about that, you've got to be a positive person and not an angry, bitter person. Right? I mean, it basically says, I, I don't care how difficult of a person you are, I'm bearing with you. <laughs> I'm enduring with you. I don't care the valley you're going through in your life right now that's making you a very unloving, difficult person that nobody wants to be around. I'm going to be around you. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to keep reaching out to you. I'm going to keep loving you. And you may be a very unhappy person, but that doesn't change how I'm going to treat you. I think in a, in a phrase, I think Proverbs 17, 17 has it nailed. A friend, what? Loves at all times. You never know who your friends are until you go through a difficult time. And then you find out that most people will walk with you through smooth paths, but they will not walk in a valley with you. Very few will walk in a valley with you. But those guys that will walk through a very dark valley with you, hang on to them. Because those are your real friends. In John 13, 35, by this one thing proves to be of Jesus. What is it? All will know, the whole world will know, you're my disciples, if you love, what? One another. Interesting. Look at your calling, brother. Not many wise. If you can love these bunch of fools, the world's going to go, those guys are sort of foolish bunch of people, but they, they love each other, and I like that. I want to be around a group of loving people. Do you see that guy at church? There's not many wise. There's not many noble. There's not many... They're the weak, the debased things. I mean, the majority of the church, they're, they're, they're a bunch of X this and X that, and they're, they're, they were selfish and mean and, right? Mary Magdalene, the chief of all followers of Christ, had seven demons in her. Isn't it a beautiful thing when we love the unlovable? when we love all these weak, debased people and, and we love one another, it's, it's a testimony. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things, have what? Fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. In 1 John 3, 14, and we know that you have passed from death to life. Why? Because you love the brethren. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He's a beloved, loving brother. And secondly, he's a faithful minister or a faithful servant of Christ. Wow. Isn't that all that's going to count on the day of judgment? Matthew 25, Jesus teaches us that he's going to break it all down into this one phrase, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant, you're 
faithful over a few things. Whatever was in your calling, in your sphere, you were faithful with that little bit, whether it was one penny or a billion dollars, whether it was one wife or one wife and a dozen kids, whatever it is that you are over, you were faithful with it. So now I'm going to make you rule over many nations, enter into the joy of the Lord. Paul says it all comes down to that. He, as a servant of God, in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, it's required of a servant that one be found faithful. And it's not me judging that. He goes on in verse 3 and 4 to say, I can't judge myself. As a matter of fact, nobody else can judge me, not even you. It's only God can, can decide whether I've been faithful. And I'm telling you, I have been. I, that's my appraisal of myself. I don't know if it'll stand on the day of judgment, but I'll tell you what, only the Lord's judgment matters. And the only key thing that's going to matter is, was I faithful with what he gave me? So if you're, God only gave you a penny, but you're faithful with that penny, it's equal to the guy who has a billion dollars and faithful with the billion. You're equally faithful before God. It's not about being great. It's about just being consistent, faithful. And then he goes on and he says, Tychicus, Paul talks about him in many places in Acts 20. He's listed as one of the main leaders. And Colossians 4, 7, he's called there a faithful, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant equal to Paul. Paul talks about how he sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And then he says, I need his presence with me. I need his encouragement in my life right now. Please send Tychicus to me he says in Titus. Well, again, he repeats it in verse 22. He says, for I've sent, referring to Tychicus, to you for every purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your heart. So uh, he repeats himself saying, once again, I'm sending him. The main reason is for you, not for me, but for you. And then we find out in this letter of Ephesians Paul doesn't have a lot of specifics. Most of the letters, Paul says, oh, this guy at Colossae, this guy at Colossae, this person, this house, this man. But here we read that there's not very many specifics, even though Paul was there three years. He had specific people he could have addressed because it makes it clear that this letter wasn't just for Ephesus, but for all the churches, even to today. Well, in verse 23, peace to the brethren. Amen on that, right? Maybe that's what we should put out for Christmas this year. Peace to the brethren. How? And the love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this where the, the letter really started out? On love. Peace comes from love and faith. Jesus and, and Mark taught about that when they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, this is the only commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing else to focus on. In Galatians 5, 6, Paul talks about faith working through love. It's not just a love that the world has being made in the image of God. You know that, right? People that are atheists are loving people. They can be very loving. You could have an atheist in war, and he would take his, his uh, helmet and, and throw it on a bomb and die for his comrades, and he's an atheist. We, we are made in the image of God. We have the capacity to love. But the love, the agape love that is from Christ only comes through the Spirit of God as we walk in the Spirit. And it is a love that gives us the ability 
to get out of our selfishness and put other people's interests before our own consistently, seeing everybody as better than ourselves, and to have this amazing working of God's Spirit through faith in Christ and through the love connected with Christ. And then he makes it clear once again, as he did in Ephesians 1, it comes from God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Messiah, Jesus. Remember in Ephesians 1, 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and heavenly places in Christ. So once again, he's now saying, it's not every spiritual blessing and 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 in Christ that I'm focused on, but love. Through God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the heavenly blessing, singular, of love. And through that life of being loving, free from bitterness, free from anger, free from selfishness, the peace of God rules in your life. And how attractive that is to the world when we're walking in the peace that comes from God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. The final sentence it's got to be about grace, right? Grace be with you, all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let the grace of God keep flowing to every person who truly, by faith, believes in Jesus. And the word sincerity here is not the word hypocritus. It's a, it's a different Greek word. It just means impurity forever. A real, genuine, pure faith in Christ forever. And all of God's people said, amen. Lord, thank you for your word today. We ask in Jesus' name that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think that this book of Ephesians through the days, through the years would come back to us. And the foundation of doctrine that's been laid through this book of Ephesians would cause all who have heard this to stand strong in you and in the power of your might. And Lord, as you end this book, with such a lengthy teaching on spiritual warfare like no other place. Where we are in the scripture is where we are in life. We are in a spiritual warfare, Lord. Especially our nation and the nations of the world as we approach these last days. We come and say, God, help us to wake up spiritually the cares of this life, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches that could quench us out and, and, and captivate us and, and minimize us. Lord, don't let it happen, but let us watch and pray. We'd be filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit more than we ever have done in our lives, and we would be sprinting in prayer and in love and in faith as we know the day of the rapture is soon approaching. Let us be wise and be a discerner of the times like the sons of Issachar who knew the scriptures of prophecy concerning the times and they became leaders over the nation of Israel. Let it be so that we become leaders in the world around us because we know your scripture on the last days and the shoe fits so clearly. So we're not, we're bummed about it, but we're not surprised in it. We're struggling with it, but we're not destroyed by it. As the apostasy is happening all around us, let it not be us, Lord. 
Let it be said of us that we are watching and praying. And when two are in the field, one is taken and one is left. Two is at the mill, one is taken and one is left. There's no doubt in our mind that it's us, Lord, that have by faith and grace pursued to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to put everybody's interests before our own interests. Everybody's needs before our own needs. We'd be the servant of all men as you did, Jesus, right to the very end. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.